Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. For today's Feminist Movie Friday, we're talking about the 2017 drama comedy crime film, which is a fun <laughs> list of genres. <laughs> um, Deidre and Lainey Rob a Train, directed by Sydney Freeland, who is a trans and Navajo director, and written by Shelby Farrell. It stars Ashley Murray as Deidre Tanner, Daniel Nicolay as Marigold Tanner, and Rachel Crow as Lainey Tanner. And Freeland was born on a Navajo reservation in New Mexico to a Navajo father and Scottish mother. And if you haven't seen it yet, you can watch it on Netflix. It's really fun. I really enjoyed the music and the visuals. We were talking about that before, Samantha, that we both really enjoyed it. Yeah, so watching it, I was like, I get a little wary coming into teen dramas, especially when I know, oh no, they're already set up to fail, essentially. Like the family, the background, what's happening. And I'm like, I don't like these stories. They make me feel fills. And as I've told you recently, for some reason, I'm really sensitive to everything right now. But it Mm -hmm. was so good. It was so like uplifting Mm-hmm. Just go ahead and put this in. We do not condone crying of any sort. We're not saying <laughs> that, you know, this should have happened or what whatnot and that it was right or wrong. Just, you know, we enjoyed it for what it was. We did. I love that, like, you're imagining the headline <laughs> the next day is going to be Sminty condones crying. <laughs> I'm just saying there's too much of that past background juvenile uh, court and juvenile, mm-hmm. uh, like, at-risk teens. I and I'm like, hey, no, 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 don't do it. But I get it, but, but don't do it. <laughs> I thought, I'm interested to hear your thoughts because there are some things I was like, ooh, I bet Samantha has some... <laughs> Some viewpoints on this. Um, I will say, and I'm curious about this as well, um, it did not make me miss high school at all. Like, not at all. <laughs> right. I do. I think it's really interesting. I love Shashir Zameda, who has her own podcast and is a comic icon as well. And she was in uh, another recent show that I was like, she's so perfect. And her role in this made me like think of, there's always, hopefully, I'm really this is my hope is that there's hopefully there's one who really seeks to help the students out and she's jaded mm-hmm. and she was like, I don't claim this, whatever. But at the same time, she knows the backgrounds and loves these kids uh, as well as the the woman who helps Lainey. I know we're talking about it, but who helps Lainey in the pageant. I was like, oh, she's not the, yeah. the bad white woman character that you're, I was anticipating. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I did find that interesting. But I, I thought it was so uh, kind. The movie was a very kind conversation about that. But yes, high school in itself is like, oh yeah, kids are jerks. Like that's <laughs> kids are mean. High school is just a like rough, stressful, dramatic time. There's all these choices that are being asked of you when you really are still young and don't know what you want. Right. Right. <laughs> I just, that was one of the first things so clearly. I was like, wow, I really didn't, I don't miss this at all. (laughs) Right. I think there's a lot to be said. Again, we're going to talk about it. Uh, This is a lead up. So if you want to watch this Mm. before we start uh, into our plot, you should go watch it. Because obviously we're going to spoil the hell out of it. Uh, But Mm -hmm. in itself that I love the sister aspect. And I guess you have to have the bad friendships for a lot of these plots to see the goodness of the sister friendship, mm-hmm. which is yeah. a whole different level. 
Yes, and that's that's something we'll be talking about, obviously, perhaps. Um, but before we do that, we did want to go over the plot. So the movie centers on the Tanners, who are a multiracial family. You've got the mother Marigold, father Chet, who is sort of has been out of the picture. He shows up for a lot of it. And then the children, Deirdre, Lainey, and Jet. And after their mother is taken to jail, Deirdre and Lainey decide to, well, mostly Deirdre, who convinces Lainey, um, decide to rob trains to prevent Lainey and Jet from being placed into foster care and to make enough money to bail their mother out of jail. Right. So Deidre is a smart high school senior who sells answers to chemistry tests to make money in the hopes of going to college. And she also expands that business as well. She Mm -hmm. also is the valedictorian, FYI, and is trying desperately to get into college. Uh, Just to put that in there. She, along with her mother, also helps raise her younger siblings, Lainey and Jet. So if we talked about parentification, here it is. Mm -hmm. Once her mother is arrested after throwing an expensive TV on the floor while working at her retail job. And it's, of course, all seen and taped and recorded, which makes it even worse. Mm-hmm. It's up to Deidre to figure things out, especially when it seems that Jill is proving to be a break from her mom's single parenthood. You know, and it's kind of comical in that manner, but I've actually heard this for yeah. some of those, like, I actually have three meals. I actually get to sit. I actually get this to, you exercise. Know, yeah, yeah <laughs> I have to exercise. Like, I don't like the mm-hmm. environment, but compared to what it was, hey. Um, so <laughs> looking into her backyard, Deidre gets the idea to rob trains to raise money to bail their mom out of jail. Actually, this was after her dad shows yep. her a video of a train robbery with the main investigator, detective, white dude. Yes, he's the bad guy in this one. Mm-hmm. She thinks about the fact that she knows how these trains work. Maybe mm-hmm. it could work for her. Here we go. Yes, here we go. So Deidre convinces Lainey to help her in this venture of robbing trains. And they do like a lot of practices and planning and they bond as they're doing all of this stuff. And Lainey, there's this whole subplot uh, where Lainey, who's very shy, um, she gets picked on, has this one friend, Claire, and not a great friend. (laughs) Pretty mean and abusive. Toxic friendship. It's a very toxic friendship. It was one where I was like, is this ever going to redeem itself? No. Okay. So Lainey gets in to the Miss Idaho pageant, thanks in part to the teacher, which really makes her friend Claire mad uh, because Claire wanted Lainey to support her, I guess, always being kind of the second fiddle in this relationship. Lainey gets the impression that her mom isn't supportive either because her mom won this Miss Idaho pageant and according to her, was like going to get this reality TV show from it, but then got pregnant and couldn't do it anymore. And Lainey really interprets that as, you know, basically your kids ruined your life and we shouldn't try because we're never going to make it. Are, that's what she's getting, the message she's picking up. And this all infuriates Deirdre. So Deirdre makes her intermission to build up Lainey's self-confidence, though she doesn't always succeed. Um, Lainey's friend, Claire, <laughs> friend in heavy, heavy quotes, continues to torment her, undermining her at every turn and even tripping her and giving her a bloody nose. Yes, not cool. So, meanwhile, Deidre, who now has to take care of her siblings, uh, misses a lot of school, also in part to the fact that she's robbing trains, Uh, Mm -hmm. really concerning several folks 
again, the school counselor who we love, uh, looking to help her become successful into and going into college, uh, again, as a way to transfer herself in a different, better school because she's got some type of success in helping kids in going into college. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the counselor finds Deidre out and Deidre blackmails, convinces her to help them rob trains so that Deidre can afford college. Essentially, though, it was this whole thing. I love this movie too much. In which, <laughs> yes, it kind of kind of unfolds because they made a few mistakes, not realizing everything that they needed to do, even though quite a bit of the good planning, yes, mm-hmm. um, as they're trying to figure out everything. Cop comes through, realizes, hey, it's teenage kids because they accidentally got caught. and But you can't see their faces. All you see is the back of them. After realizing, hey, what is this? Oh, hey, comes to check on her, comes in, sees all the boxes, realizes what's going on. And Deidre convinces her, hey, the other valedictorian, do you really want something about cast iron just spoken? And for some reason, that tickled me. It made me very giggly. I was like, that's hilarious. I don't know why. But apparently talking about cast irons during valedictorian speeches is funny. Um, <laughs> but trying to talk about how this other girl's not as good or this other person is not as good as she would be as a valedictorian. So the counselor agrees to be quiet about it and let her know what's going on with this other dude that's investigating who obviously yeah. has a chip on his shoulder because every time yes. someone says, Mr., he's like, I'm detective. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, so now Deidre's counselor is somewhat involved. Um, yes. And then, of course, Deidre hides the information from Lainey that this cop has come around uh, the schools to try to figure this out. And the dad, who works for the company, also figures it out after realizing, huh, that's a gift I gave to my child, which appears out of nowhere and is part of the evidence of some teenagers are doing something here, dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, yes, he is a felon. That's mm-hmm. part of the reason he's not around the family. And then also, uh, he's just kind of like the deadbeat dad that is not around the family. And after he feel, figures it out, oh, yes, he figures it out. Uh, <laughs> he shows up at their home just in time for a CPS visit. But because he's not supposed to be there, pretends to be the uncle, charms yep. the CPS worker the entire time, pretending to be the uncle, confronts Deidre and Lainey about what they've been doing and reveals to Lainey that the cops are on their trail. Of course. Yes, because Lainey was very reluctant about this whole thing and has kind of been like, you know, any sign of trouble we're out and Deidre did not tell her that this was happening. So their dad, Chet, hangs around and gives them some tips (laughs) and starts working with them um, about robbing these trains, kind of trying to take over the situation, claiming credit for Deidre's work, which is sort of a theme throughout this, um, of taking credit for other people's work. Deidre reluctantly agrees to accept his help, and they cook up an even bigger scheme. But as all this is happening, the cop is closing in and decides to interview the students. Deidre and Lainey get into a fight when Lainey realizes that Deidre has been setting aside money for college, for her college, and intends to keep robbing even after they have enough to bail out their mom. Because Lainey was like, once we get enough for her to get out of jail, we're done. And I did like this quote with the the cop where they're interviewing Deidre and he finds out she's the valedictorian. And he says, we're interviewing the valedictorian? Why are we interviewing the valedictorian? Where I was like, why would you, the smart person is probably good at robbing things. I don't right. know. <laughs> right. So in all of this, it's obviously a small community 
a very mm-hmm. compact community because the cop knows who they are. He's the one that tries to de-escalate the situation with the mother when she first got arrested. So it's it's an interesting like oh, homey feel where they're trying to care for each other and truly understand uh, what was happening. Um, maybe it's propaganda. I don't know, but it did feel nice to see that aspect of them caring for the people in their community. Um, and during this entire time, as she's trying to think of the bigger heist, we see Lainey coming apart. Uh, Lainey is not doing too well. She is trying to just, she's just over it, ready to rebel, moving on. Um, and Deidre realizes maybe she doesn't want all of this anymore. Maybe seeing what's happening in the bigger and bigger, like they're all already in felony level of trouble, but it's getting worse um, and hijacking things that are like, hey, we're talking about possibly stealing literally mint money, which is way above the high level federal crimes. So maybe we need to rethink some things. Mm -hmm. And after the boy that her ex-boy, this is what we're calling, who she calls the gangster and funny, like he's just a white cute boy that she calls all of these things, um, who he talks about how he sells out of his grandma's erratic. Like he's like, who do you think I am? (laughs) You asked me to do this I did this. (laughs) Like, really? I'm not that cool. I do this on eBay. (laughs) And so she decides to take the money, all of the money, and finally bail her mom out after making sure her mom knew that she was not happy. Um, And we had this whole unveiling of what her mom does. But first, the CPS worker realizes that something is amiss, uh, comes to confront the dad, who she's like, I thought he was the one. But instead, he's like, oh, wait, let me do this, and takes Jet away, runs away with him. Deidre again comes and has this confrontation with the mom. And the mom talks about what's happened. Like, she had saved all this money for her college, was so proud of her, got into a really bad accident because she was so tired from working so much and therefore lost all of the money and then went into even more debt, uh, watched there was like a teenage pregnancy show that really just triggered her uh, to the point that she had her a breakdown and lost it. And to the point that the shop decided to charge her with terrorism on top mm-hmm. of theft. So that had a, had a federal consequence to that. So yeah, it was a whole thing. And it was like, oh. And by the way, the mom, I know her from playing uh, a main character in Flash. And I love her character in Flash. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that scene was really beautiful because it, until that point, um, it's not that you didn't, as the audience, have sympathy for the mom, but you were kind of like... What is happening? Yeah, clearly your children need help. And and she was just so like, yeah, I like it here. <laughs> I'm good. Right. And then you, the scene was just really moving because it was the money she had made from the Miss Idaho pageant and she'd put it away. And this was her, like, explaining, like, I never regretted you. Everyone told me it was, like, a regret that I didn't get this reality show, but it was never a regret for me. And then just having this, like, montage of her coming home every day and checking the balance of how much money was in there, and she would just contribute to it no matter what. And being so tired and, like, coming home to fights or to just children who had wanted nothing to do with her and... You know, not that it's not painted in a way like the children were terrible. It's just what part right. of what motherhood is. Right. Uh, but she being a single mom and being so tired, and that's why she got in the accident. And then to lose all of it after all that time, right. it's really, it was really 
well shot and really, really beautiful, I thought. Yeah, the flashbacks, she did a great, great job because you kind of already knew the story. You'd already seen it played out, but the mom was always missing. So they would impose, like, the mother, where was the mother and here is the mother. Uh, though she mm-hmm. was in the background or though she was tired, or though she was, this, she was always there, mm-hmm. but they just didn't see it from that yeah. perspective. So I thought that was beautifully shot. They did a great job with that. Yeah, and it was really sad sometimes because she'd come home and she'd be so happy. Like, she'd be looking at how much money is it and be so happy and then she comes in and her children, like, are all fighting and she just, like, forget it (laughs) and deal with this. Um, But yeah, yeah, I thought I really liked that scene. Okay, so... The cops come down to arrest Lainey at the pageant, um, which Deidre finds out about through the school counselor. Um, Lainey gets in a fight with her friend, Claire, and Lainey is arrested. Deidre reaches out to their dad for help, and the counselor and the local police officer work on getting Lainey out. Deidre tries to provoke the train cop who has her record. And so Lainey thinks that Deidre's trying to get arrested, but she she escapes from the school counselor and the cop who helped her, joins Deidre, and she demands that they do this together. And Deidre reveals, like, she's planning on recording him, like, sort of losing his sh- and then getting him in trouble because he has this record. So they succeed in this. Um, Deidre provokes him. Lainey films it. But later, the cop, he's not willing to give up, and he takes Chet hostage. But their dad, Chet, shows up and punches the cop in the face to free him. And the whole thing gets recorded, and the cop is placed under arrest, and Deidre negotiates with the owner of the train company. So in this, I think one thing we did forget to talk about is the dad who continues to say throughout, I'm a better father when I'm gone when I'm not there. Um, I'm just around if you need me. And it's obvious that he does love his children. Like, as bad as it seems, Freeland never really gets to the he's so toxic type of level. Mm -hmm. And he does run away, though. After taking Jet, coming to the pageant to support his daughter, he decides he's going to run away uh, Mm because that's what he does, arguing with the toy that his son, who obviously adores him, uh, gave to him and Mm -hmm. to protect him. And he's arguing with like, but no, I'm a better father when I'm away, da-da-da. And then when Deidre reaches out, he comes back. And he's like, it's my time. I can do this. Um, Mm -hmm. So he does redeem himself to that certain point. But he also does tell them, hey, it's in your DNA to be a criminal, which is really sad to me in every way it could be. (laughs) But again, he does redeem himself trying to come see him. Although the ending was super weird uh, where he misses her. So their mom returns home just in time to make sure that the family doesn't get separated by CPS because CPS has discovered everything. She charges with Deidre, even though she is an adult 18-year-old, for uh, leaving the children with the father. Although, as a CPS worker, this is not how this works, but I think it, it was intended. And if we want to look at history, yes, social work and CPS has really harmed the Native American community a lot. And there's still a lot to be said. And there's a lot of leeway that gives too much authority to CPS, especially when it comes to indigenous families in the U.S. That's a side point, but I will just say what this looks like. But Mm -hmm. you see that happening and everything gets resolved and it's beautiful. Everybody hugs their family, comes together. Love it. Deidre, like we flash forward four months, 
Need your packs and get ready for college. To a tearful family goodbye. Uh, the sibling relationship between the two sisters is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. She passes a train and watches and thinks about her past and her future. Uh, we get to see, yes, like I said, the weird scene. The dad shows up too late to say goodbye. There's a little bit of disappointment, but kind of like, hey. And then the, we know that there's an attraction between the mom and dad still. So who knows what's going to happen there. End of story. Then we see, uh, like, an end credit scene, uh, the counselor uh, who is really motivating the kids, talking about going to college and how she's going to help, kind of brings up the whole train robbing thing, which Lainey laughs about. And, yeah, so everybody's motivated, and we're all going to pretend every single one of them went to college, and it's happily ever after. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah, I mean, it was a nice touch because that whole time I kept thinking like oh don't leave it's complicated but you get it but I kept being like oh no don't leave and then at the end credit scene she's like no right. we're gonna do this it was nice I do it was like a her nice woo, button. as she walks away <laughs> yes 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 uh, I mean she went through some things with all of them that's she went sure. through some things obviously yeah and I will give it to uh, the casting I don't know who casted them but it was very diverse group mm-hmm. I love that it was told from this perspective from Deidre's perspective I do love that we have a multicultural uh, diversity that the, the villains in this movie if there was real villains would have been the white men and I see that uh <laughs> And in government in itself, and just the downfall of uh, single motherhood and the constant like pushback, as well as she does have a conversation about the how she was saving money, not necessarily just for college, but to actually apply. And they yeah. have this conversation about like you can apply to the Ivy Leagues, you have money to do that. And y'all, it is we know this. If you've gone through the college process, and I'm guessing it's even worse today, I, I don't know. It costs a lot of money. I had to limit myself to sending out, I think, three applications because it was like $75 a pop mm-hmm. at that point in time. I was like, what is this nonsense? And as a high schooler mm-hmm. who whose family could not afford to do that, I'm like, what? It, it is set up. It is a rigged system. End of conversation. But I think Freeland has done a great job uh, in of making this in a positive note with addressing some of the things within it. Again, the diversity in that it's beautiful. I love that they are not playing up the disgusting Hollywood tropes in that you, even though she is a mean friend, she's not the blonde, perfect shaped, eight, like obviously 25-year-old pretending to be a high schooler who yeah, is the Claire. mean girl. Like I like right. this level of like, Huh? They're just kids. This is this is what high school looked like. Not yeah. this whole supermodel level of high school. I really appreciated that as well. Yeah, I thought that it was fun in that sense where there were a lot of tropes that I was expecting to play out one way and then they didn't. And that was one. And a lot of people wrote about how they appreciated the body diversity of that because she was, yeah. you know, an average in heavy clothes, but like, you know, average body size for a young girl. And there were just so many things that I kept because I've seen, I haven't seen a ton of high school movies, but I've seen enough and I would say all these tropes that you just know and I kept waiting for right. them to play out that way and they didn't. And I did like, you know, it was tackling a lot of pretty heavy stuff, but it did it in a manner that felt hopeful and lighthearted, which 
you can have various conversations about those kinds of things. But it was nice to have a presentation of it that was not so like, right. everything is the worst and it's going right. to ruin all of your relationships and your family sucks. <laughs> I think I think one of the things I really appreciated about the movie is there's a lot of traumatic experiences for childhood and she addressed all of mm-hmm. these. And she didn't go too in depth, but she also was really careful not to trigger too many for those who may have experienced these things. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. If you're triggered, you're triggered and it happens and it will happen. You have no control about that. You have mm-hmm. no control in being triggered. Let's just be honest. We really wish you could because I would like <laughs> to be able to not have to, you know, go through a moment of like complete breakdown when I'm eating a certain type of food or like, oh my God, I remember this from my past. That was not a good mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. It would be great if I didn't have to experience that. But I think she right. has a great making sure to keep it lighthearted. And I think that, again, this is considered a teen movie. Didn't realize this. Uh, mm-hmm. But because of that, she wanted to tackle it enough but not overwhelm where it's causing more trauma, which is what happens with a lot of these movies in general. And again, when we talk about inappropriate laughter and when we say inappropriate, meaning you find this inappropriate, but for us, this is how we cope. I think this is Mm -hmm. kind of along those same lines in that field. Yeah, And and also, we did pick out this movie because it is Native American uh, Heritage Month. And this is one of the top rated films. And I see Mm -hmm. why. And I love it. And I'm really sad that it took me to go down this list during this Mm -hmm. month to actually see this movie. Yes. Yes. And one of the things that's really important about this movie is that it was... Because so often, Indigenous stories are told by people who are not Indigenous. But this was an indigenous person who was directing it and a trans person who was directing it. And you could just feel that. And I thought throughout, through all of it. And I did, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. I did want to talk about the family aspects and the sisterhood aspect. But first, we did mention earlier parentification, and that's an episode we've done in the past, um, that a lot of people, it resonated with a lot of people. And that was something when I was watching this, I was like, yes, Deidre. So like having to play this role of taking care of her younger siblings and having to take on these responsibilities on top of like trying to get to college and on top of like making money to try to get into college, like all of this stuff. And it just made me think of like this whole idea of the hustle and how girls and women are really being expected to do it all. Like, no one's asking. Right. Are you, like, is this too much? Or is it, we're just being expected. Like, that's the level is you better handle your own stuff. And if you can't, that's on you. <laughs> right. Like, what we see is the very, like, small, slim bit of the mother where she's just working and you don't know what's happening to where we realize what she's done trying to do for the family. Um, and then we come to the father who literally has not paid any child support mm-hmm. but hands over $13. Yeah. But we also see that he leaves toys on the train track for his son. Like, it's it's very cute the way he does it. Again, that does not absolve him from what he has uh, done in the past and continues to do uh, for the to the kids, essentially. But yeah, and we do see that breakdown as the oldest sibling taking care of her, her family, taking care of her siblings, uh, trying to find her own way in life, um, really trying to come out of something that's, that she wants the more in that conversation, and then having the breakdown of being an 18-year-old and figuring out how to get out of a thing that she doesn't like, but also being loyal to her family. So that divide with her uh, like taking the money and trying to make more money and then getting caught up in making that money. 
mm-hmm. is this whole big thing. And it is. Like, that is the complication. And that is part of that conversation we had about parentification, feeling guilty when you're older mm-hmm. uh, because you are trying to take care of yourself. And that is so unnatural. So that conflict. And we do get to see that, especially when it comes down to it. And I think they did a smart job in making this like two older sisters because Mm -hmm. the whole complex issue, it would have been even more complex to have an older brother and an older sister because that complicated of who's going to be the caretaker is often laid on the girl no matter what, Mm -hmm. typically. And especially when it comes to house care, child care, all of that. Yeah, yeah. And I I mean, when I was watching it, I just kept thinking like, Deidre's so smart. She's so smart. That and little board she made, I was like, damn, yes. that's really good. <laughs> yes. Yes. But like, as you said, that there were just all these things where she was set up to fail. All these obstacles working against her. And I just, watching it, I was just exhausted. Like, this is way too much. <laughs> Right. I could not imagine trying to figure out how to pay for the bills with the power going off, how to fight off CPS to keep your family together. So being the caretaker and constantly being there, as well as realizing I need to do this for my mom, who seems to not care. I don't know what's happening, but she seems to not care. Um, On top of the fact that she's trying to live her own life, which she really had high hopes for, which was dashed within a day. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also like this conversation... Uh, for her to not be her mother. So when Deidre is talking to Lainey about her, I don't understand why this pageant is a big deal for you. We need all these other things. We need to think about, you know, the basic needs of our home. And then hearing what happened between her mother and Lainey and then hearing what's happening between Lainey and the friend and realizing the bigger, you know, casualty in this level for her, like, oh, she is already low in confidence, but now we're really killing her spirit. And I'm part mm-hmm. of this because I'm not, I'm kind of putting on the mother phase of doing my own things in trying to do, to care for the basic needs, which again is that bigger conversation in uh, homes that are financially and economically in trouble is that you can't get to these bigger needs, these these emotional traumas, because you're trying to care for the basic needs and it becomes right. problematic in itself. And though they are doing the damned best they can, there's still that giant part missing and it can go awry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Watching it, I I just felt like even though they went about it in such different ways, the mom and Deidre had kind of the same, like mm-hmm. this ambition of like more... And for Deidre, I feel like she lost, for a minute, she lost herself in it where she was just like, we could keep going. Um, And she had to have that kind of human moment with her sister where she's like, no, we were just going to do this to get our mom out. It's like, I thought we were going to stay together. But I do think that narrative was really interesting. I think that there was that whole kind of narrative of pushing marginalized communities into crime for this basic survival and then blaming these communities for it because, I mean, what else were they going to do? <laughs> and then, like, like when that guy's just like, oh, it's valedictorian, why would it ever be the valedictorian? Well, <laughs> there's right. so much working against you. Right. Then this is the option for you. And especially, like, for children, for trying to keep their family together. I don't know. I just felt so... It, right. it's, it made sense. Like, your options are so few. 
than rob a train. Right. This is the whole conversation with this as well when we're talking about marginalized communities. And again, what I've seen, and I don't think we have anybody in our listenership that would ever argue that these possibilities could happen. But the fact of the matter is when the cards are stacked against you, there's only so much you can do. And of course, this was the overarching, like obviously sarcastic response of, we're going to rob a train, you know, because Mm -hmm. that sounds ridiculously like, implausible. But when I see oftentimes, and and it's not necessarily that they're just going for needs. It is literally a conversation of, I don't understand why we can't do this, but they can. And it's this conversation that I've had for a long time within within my social work community of like, part of this problem is, yeah, these kids are angry. The movie in itself is like, finding basic needs, realizing they can do it, realizing they can get away with it. So going for the more uh, for this specific plot. But what I've seen specifically in marginalized communities is that they are angry because they're not afforded that same level of privilege. And so they will do what they can to try to equal it out or even it out with no regards to others because there was no regards to them. You know, there's just this pattern of this conversation that we have to have that, yeah, when you talk about what is happening and it feels so, when someone is robbed, it feels like you're being violated. I get it. I, I, I see it. But when we talk about the underlying issues of some of the things that are being stolen are iPhones and, and silly things. But at the same time, it's like, but it's a luxury But at the same time, it's a status. And there is also this conversation of how we are pitting our kids against each other when it comes to items like this, as well as the fact that people are tired of having to do the basic. I get tired of doing the basic, and I am fairly privileged. I get it. But as the person who was doing three jobs at one point in time, I was really wishing I could have been that one person. I was like, man, where's my uncle? Where's my dead uncle who's going to give me a hundred thousand bucks because uh, he's dead now? Like, I really wish I could have had that one. But the fact of the matter is, I don't. I don't want anyone to die. But all of that to say is that there is that level of like, yeah, you have a whole level of privilege when things are not equal. And then because it's not equal, you're not able to meet the equity that needs to happen in order for things to be balanced out because equal no longer becomes the even playing field. It just means mm-hmm. you're handed some more and hope you can be okay. Yeah. Again, bigger conversation. We're making this a really big thing. I get really yeah. heated about it. I know I do. But there's this conversation of, yes, we are creating and fostering a community and an environment that says, this is your only option. Yep. Good luck with it. Yeah. Survive. Yeah. And I mean, this was a, like we said, a, in a lighthearted movie. And I think that there are considerations to keep in mind, but the the way it was, I think it was beautiful and it presented all this, all these issues in a way that didn't feel so like upsetting. But at the end, when they were like confronting the cop and recording him, I was like, this could go really terribly. Right. Like I was scared because of our real world issues and how that could have gone. And I kept thinking, you know, yeah, this is, these kids did this because they thought they had to. Mm-hmm. And then they could have died for it. Right. Yeah. So, I found that right. interesting with the fact that, again, I think it also equates to 
the one with a superiority complex really needing to solve a crime and gave no care to who it was affecting. And when mm. he makes the statement of it, it doesn't matter. All I need is that arrest, which is, yep. uh, yeah, it's an implication to, yeah, that's the belief of a lot of law and order. And that's part of the problem as well, which is also when we talk about the loss of life in general and then mm-hmm. talking about, well, they shouldn't have done these things. But like, but right. no matter what they did, they didn't deserve to die. They didn't deserve right. that. What is happening? And it's kind of that same lines of mm-hmm. uh i assume you're a bad person because people in your life are bad people or and or whatever the situation may have been the system is corrupt so therefore uh, i will i will use my assumptions on you and that will be law that will be the mm-hmm. end statement and i think again they did play this out well as well as the fact that like i did see i feel like i don't know about you when dj walks away from the white cop the white cop looks really confused mm-hmm. and she looks like she feels guilty for ruining his job. A little, I don't know if that's the case, but she has a weird, weird look. It's not satisfaction. The yeah. face is not satisfaction. I, when I, my first take was it was like confusion. Like she didn't know how to feel. Yeah. But it, yeah, it, it wasn't satisfaction. It was definitely more of a mess of emotions. Yeah. I think. Like she, again, having to do what she had to do. Mm-hmm. Ooh, and then I did want to briefly touch on, we've talked a little bit about um, single motherhood throughout this, but I do think, I appreciated the way um, this movie presented the complexities of that. Like you had the parentification aspect, but you also saw the mother's side and you understood it. Like it, uh, again, yeah, doing what she had to do, doing what she had to do, doing the best she could. A lot of things in the system set up against her. But, yeah, it's just, when you see that scene when she finally is like, no, I was saving up for this. And you just thought, wow, even in this little montage, I'm exhausted for you. <laughs> like, right. It's so much that is being put on, put on her. And right. getting, just, it's just constant having right. to fight and having to work and having to do all this stuff and being tired. Um, right. It's kind of the vibe I got. I think it's an interesting concept to be able to see the main point of view for the siblings. So it's setting up for Deidre and her sister as the main characters. And then you see like the peripheral, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As kind of like a, hey, hey, hey. It's not as completely as this. As well as the fact that I think it's a reminder for Deidre, which is not for everyone, that she does have people there for her. She just, yeah, it's a different way than what she needs sometimes. Right, right. And that's not to say like, as we said in that parentification episode, that that can have major issues and long-term impacts. But I liked that they presented the single mother as like, well, this is what she was dealing with too. Like it was very complex and I thought very fleshed out of like, they all had these things that they were dealing with. And there's it's a complicated conversation again when you don't have outside support. And we've talked mm-hmm. about that and what does this look like and doing your damnedest so that you can keep the family together. Yes. Yes. Um, And speaking of, I mean, one of the most beautiful aspects that we've been talking about it was this bond of the sisters throughout the movie and seeing it grow. And I did really love how we got to see them kind of like be happy with each other and and build each other up. And then they'd have these fights. And it was really nice to see them like make up from the fights as well. Right. It was always a pretty like, oh, no, I've done wrong. I want to make up for it. Which again, yeah, like these are teen kind of comedy drama movies. 
So that doesn't always happen in real life, but it was nice. It was like refreshing to see this yes. sister relationship bloom and have them support each other and really like fill in the gaps of where the other person was missing and like needed yeah. that support. It was really, really, really lovely, I thought. It was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, definitely the heart of the movie, I would say, though. It was, I feel like the mother, at that in, that was, whew, that was good. That was good. And then, yes, representation, as we said, this was, it was refreshing also to see <laughs> this, an indigenous story that was told from an indigenous voice because that doesn't happen often enough. Right. And I did think that was interesting as well because there was a theme, as I said, throughout the movie of um, taking credit for other people's work and right. what other people have done. And I thought that was that was pretty fascinating because that has been what has happened a lot when it comes in terms of these indigenous stories and who is making them and who is getting the credit for them. Um, but you see like Deidre and Lainey be like, no, you're taking credit for what I've done. You're taking credit for for all the work that I've put into something. And I was like, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I think they did. Again, we talked about how the school like really looked like an actual, what I would have thought of as a high school, what I, I saw as a high schooler, instead of the glam squad that was like territorially around. I definitely had a friend like uh, Claire. Definitely did. Not to that extreme, oh. but boo, like trying to like gaslight me and so that I can be her, uh, you know, hype girl essentially and never really being the center of anything. Right. Didn't have a friend like that. Wasn't lovely. Um, it Ugh. wasn't in high school though. It was more middle school, but like seeing that as a representation. But yeah, I think like having those kind of like looks and seeing what was happening with that, it was, it was good to see in that level. Like not necessarily like I don't want... Everybody to be like, the high school's awful, but essentially, like the actual look of the high school, they actually use mm-hmm. real people, what you would see instead of this glam looking squad. And yeah, like everybody being represented well and like the diversity throughout. So it was nice to see that on top of. Yeah. Yeah. And I think plenty of storylines, like I said, they didn't go how I thought and they kind of resolved in a way that felt more realistic. Uh, in in comparison to these high school films, glam films that you're talking about, where I was like, yeah, yeah, get, you'd get in a fight at the <laughs> <on this> pageant. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> that seems about right. Yeah, and I, I, I did appreciate that as well. And I thought it was a pretty accurate depiction of high school uh, in a lot of ways. And it was interesting to see Lainey, like she's struggling with this self-confidence and like being in this pageant. And kind of figuring out like her personality through that or at least the personality like she'd been too afraid to perhaps show in front of people. And I did want to touch on too uh, before we finish up here. I think that shame was a big theme throughout this of where you live and where you go to school and where you work and what you can afford and like what money offers you and I just thought that was pretty powerful. Like throughout it, like I feel like there were a lot of things in the family they didn't share because of shame, because they were ashamed. Like the mom was ashamed of what she felt was like too little she could offer, and Deidre was kind of ashamed because she wanted to go into this you know big college or nice college and get out of 
where she was. What she she wrote on her like application, like anywhere two hundred miles from here or something. Like just a lot of a lot of the shame and how it kept a lot of the characters quiet about things that, you know, if they hadn't felt shame of it, and then they could have talked about it, and then maybe they wouldn't have had this these issues. But it's also like. The shame is a lot of societal stuff. Like, it's not right. on them that they felt it. Right. Well, I mean, we definitely touch on a little bit. Again, they don't go too deep, but, like, about mental health, with mm-hmm. the mother having a, a breakdown and, and what that looked like. And we didn't know exactly why. And honestly, when yeah. you first meet the mom, you really think there may be a psychiatric level of mm-hmm. needs that we don't understand. They're not going to talk about. But we see what, what that goes through. And then the shame that uh, Lainey is called out for her mom's actions at one point in time. Mm-hmm. Lainey being shy and really trying to find any confidence whatsoever to be seen in general. Again, she talks about how she just doesn't know anything. She's not good at anything. You have the teacher trying to encourage her. I will say, I feel like that was the biggest fantasy level that everybody <laughs> in the school was supportive of them. I was like, eh. We know that's not always true, especially of those who are in the marginalized community. But I do love that this, I wish it was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, uh, we both really enjoyed this movie. We recommend it. If you have Netflix, it's on there. Um, It's a nice, yeah, it's a a fun watch. It's not that long if you're looking for something. Yeah. It's not trauma induced. Like you can you can sit and enjoy it and laugh. Like it's a it's a thing. And then just have a moment. You do have a little bit of willing suspicion of disbelief. You gotta <laughs> go there a little bit. Like I said, yeah. I guess I'm too caught up in that world. I'm like, that's not how it no, would have turned no, no, out. No, no. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. There were moments where I was like, oh no. Um, but that's true with a lot of the things. Right, you watch, right. But that doesn't make it any less as good as it is. Like we would tend to right. recommend. Yes. Go check it out. And then let us know your thoughts and also what movie should we watch next? Keep coming. Yes. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I never told you is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs> 